0: All right, y'all. So everyone knows that child care is essential. We're some of the most influential people out there. Yet, we are often overworked and underpaid. So how can you work full-time, have hobbies, show your friends and family love, self-care, and also fine-tune your skills and grow more in-depth? That's where we come in. These Napcasts, 25-30-minute segments, are designed to help you learn on the go, hear another perspective, spark debate, (laughs) heck, even agree with us, but honestly remind you that you're not alone. We live in a complex world, so allow us to challenge your perspective. So are your headphones in? Did you turn the volume up? All right now, good, let's get it. Welcome to Napcast, a podcast produced by Hilltop Children's Center in Seattle. My name is Mike Brown. Pronouns are he, him, and I'm with my brother from another mother, Nick Taronis. Nicky, baby, what up? Hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> Pronouns he, him. All right, now, before we jump into today's topic, we wanted to share a little bit of background info on who we are and how we got this thing started. So, up here in Seattle, on the traditional lands of the first people of Seattle, the Duwamish people, We are a Reggio-inspired preschool, serving about 120 kiddos from ages 2 to 5, as well as an after-school program for our elementary school kids. We also double down as a professional development institute, tackling issues of race and equity and shedding light on how we can dismantle systems of oppression in our early educational system. At Hilltop, one of our core values is learning in relationship with others. And that often translates into these in-person visits, these workshops, conferences, gatherings, dialogues. But by being up here in the Pacific Northwest, that also means that access is a barrier for the majority of y'all out there listening right now. So we wanted to find a way to curve that, to top of that, and have these rich, extended versions of these conversations where you can listen in no matter where you are. Thus, a podcast was born. And we wanted to do something a bit different. We know that this industry is mostly filled with white identifying woman X. And if you go to conferences, most of the presenters are just that. (laughs) So one day when my boy Nick looked at me and said, yo, what if we put this together and give a platform and voice to communities of color? I said, bet, let's do it. And the rest is history. So like I said, my name is Mike Brown. My pronouns are he, him. I'm Afro-Caribbean, dreads all the way down my back heterosexual male. And if you boil it down to one title, I'm the community engagement manager at Hilltop. But you know how it is working at a nonprofit. You got to do like 10,000 different things. So I handle everything from the community engagement, partnerships, grants, professional development, anti-racism initiatives, and the list goes on and on and on.
1: Hey, everybody. And like Mike said, my name is Nick Terrones, or Terrones. I'm from Los Angeles, raised Mexican, Native American, sprinkled in with a few other ethnicities, which I like to say I'm proudly mestizo. I am an educator who works at Hilltop Children's Center, and I work with uh, toddlers and their families and have been at it for over a little over a decade. Coming up on my 13th year working with toddlers specifically, and I've been fortunate enough to um, travel the world being an early childhood educator and uh, do presentations and um, other speaking engagements and some publishing as well. Um, one of the other things that we're, we're going to acknowledge is there are not a ton of people of color in childcare. Absolutely. And certainly not a ton of males either. If that's a surprise to you, where have you been? Right? <laughs> a rock underneath it. <laughs> so we wanted to give a different perspective from what you've probably been used to hearing and also let you, young black, indigenous people of color, know that we are out here. And we do exist, and we are thriving, and we are with you in solidarity. And we can—we hope that we can inspire you to to make early childhood education your profession of choice. Mm. And so that's where we are right now. We'll be tackling a topic from here and there, bringing our perspectives as leaders and educators, and our lived as well
0: as our lived experience. So let's get started, Mike. All right, right on, right on. So Nick, this one is going to be a super easy topic to jump into. um, And it's on all of our minds. It's on all of our TVs. And that's COVID-19. It's having a, I don't even know the right word, a drastic effect on our ability as educators to interact and support the children, families, and communities we serve. It's also testing the resolve of our physical and mental health. So let's let's get a, let's get it started right there with your own self care. Tell me, how have you been coping with the physical distancing order?
1: Yeah, it's been okay for me. Um, you know, like I mentioned just a bit ago, uh, I've been in the classroom for a very long time, and most of my social energy is generally spent and eaten up with children and their families. And usually, you know, days before the COVID, uh, I would go home pretty. Uh, Socially drained, um, but now I'm finding a little bit more of a charge and you know while I'm not physically with the families and children these days, we have been finding ways to stay connected. Mm. and that's true with uh, my work colleagues as well and I think this situation, as I reflect upon it, uh, is reminding me about the importance reminding me and hopefully all of us, the importance of relationships and the value of connectedness. And also, I know for myself, this is true. The situation is an opportunity for us to access our creative sides, which in turn inspires and influences critical thinking, self-reflection, and hopefully in that process, some
0: self-worth. Mm. Self-care and self-worth. For me, coming from the East Coast, where you don't simply just work a nine-to-five is more like a eight-to-six. <laughs> I really struggled with that when I first moved out here the concept of work life balance still kind of foreign so just the other day when my boss told me to go home and it was like 3 p.m. i didn't really know what to do so in terms of self care and self worth how or what does that look like for you yeah
1: as you were saying that um i'm reminded of this old adage of physician heal thyself mm. and to me i take that as and and this goes out to all you all you caregivers all you educators and all you parents and, and different family makeups that are caring for young children throughout this, make sure you are taking care of yourself first. You have to have a little bit of selfishness and take care of yourself so you can be at a hundred percent. You can give that a hundred to your child or children that are with you.
0: Not just an educator, philosopher
1: out yeah, here too. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but it's I, I think it's very important, especially especially these days, it just seems so much more blaring. Uh, For me personally, it's look, I've looked at it as this silver lining of, you know, having Apple time to tackle all these side projects and writing projects in particular, such as blogs for Hilltops website, Uh, uh, finishing up my book that I'm doing with Margie Carter and Ann Pello, part of their uh, reimagining our work series writing articles for Exchange Magazine, and keeping in contact through the written letters or emails to friends that I have abroad and in the nation. And I'm also reading books that I've had stacked up for a long time and, and have been using, uh, playing, and creating music as a outlet. But I've also had to be creative and diligent and making sure I find and maintain a routine for all these things to be fruitful.
0: I hear that. Awesome, man. I have a ton of books I'm trying to get to, but somehow they only turn into coasters for me, <laughs> um, but it actually sounds like you're more busy now than you've ever been,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but you mentioned something I really want to touch upon, and that's something about how COVID is reminding you of the value of connectedness. Tell me more about that. Uh, it sounds like you're viewing COVID-19 as a shared experience, as an opportunity and, and using that as a way to connect you with friends, family, lost ones, you know, in mm-hmm. furthering and deepening that impact. Yeah. Well, I think
1: during this whole COVID process and experience simultaneously, we're trying to find a course of healing. And one of those books that have been stacked up that I've been able to kind of dip into is um, written by Toni Morrison. And she has this quote that I've been latched onto, and it goes like this. This is precisely the time when artists go to work. There is no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no room for silence or no need for silence and no room for fear. We speak, we speak, we do language. Essentially we're creating. And this is how civilizations heal. Mm. And when you look at the course of human history, I've kind of been thinking during these these times of distress and catastrophe and uncertainty in this It is the creative minds that provide us the sustenance to heal through the process. And I truly believe that educators fall into this creative mind category as well, because I believe for being an effective and impactful educator requires one to pivot and rebound in the face of adversity and uncertainty, and to remain steadfast in trying to synthesize information to help others, especially young children, make meaning and understanding really find that process of healing. And that's what I mean about the value of connectedness. It's this uh time to align and find meaning and put our community first and by
0: beginning with our strengths and and really build a bridge of understanding. That's powerful. Um especially leading with community first and beginning with our strengths mm. because that's sort of the the routine that I've that I've been leaning into and I've been doing to, to ensure that I'm taking care of myself and I'm taking care of the people that looks like me and the people that I share meals with and the people that I conjugate with and the list goes on and on. So routines, I know you mentioned is important for your own mental health and hopefully, you know, and, and it's important for my own mental health and I'm, I'm hoping that everyone else are starting to figure out these new norms, um, air quotes, new norms, and and figuring out how they can thrive in this new reality. And even routines, you know, are equally essential in giving children a sense of security and stability, especially during these times. And with many families um, facing the new challenges of balancing work-life, children staying at home, other commitments – what are some thoughts or ideas on creating routines that you like to share out?
1: Yeah. Um, well, you know, children are going to notice the new ways of operating in, their, in society. And at their level, society is home and school. And they are keen observers in these places. And they notice differences in their lives, like not going to school, not going to favorite parks, Maybe being told no to going uh, to accompany a family family member to the store. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're noticing people wearing masks, or they're noticing their grown up kind of rush them across the street as somebody else is about to pass them by. Um, and it's interesting these quote unquote new norms with our sort of old norms. I feel like they're transferable and that's I think one of the ways that we've been doing that making a uh, transferring what children do know of what was normal for them into the new norm of being at home is providing families our classroom schedule for them to emulate at home to try to give a sense of rhythm to the day you know because that will help children and the grown-ups in children's lives get a sense of grounding and stability and, and a sense of expectation uh, a sense of know-how like I know what to do in this situation at this time, and really for the grown-ups and children's lives, I feel like it provides a feeling of control amidst this whole COVID situation
0: where it seems to be lacking. Control. I think we're all struggling to a certain degree that that feeling of control or lack of. Mm-hmm. You know, I have two degrees. I'm pushing. The, It's okay. Pushing 29. I I was going to say 30, but I'm I'm pushing 29. I still got a couple more years. (laughs) Even I fully don't understand the magnitude of COVID. So I can only imagine how it looks to a child. And Hilltop, we shut down for two weeks before reopening for essential workers um, in our community. So for those who are either open, opening soon, or for the parents at home or their adults at home, uh, how would you describe, Nick, what's the appropriate amount of information to give young children, especially toddlers, since that's that's the age, age group you work with,
1: mm-hmm.
0: about why we're staying home, why some people are wearing masks, why life has suddenly seemed to be put on a pause, and um, not just for COVID, but this is gonna be extremely useful um, information just for future pandemics.
1: Yeah. It, it's tough to, uh, to really just to know that you're taking your, to try to distill big information down to an age appropriate way. So that way the child's receiving it, Hmm. you know, taking these big concepts and making it easily digestible for them, relating it to similar experiences that they may have had, um, to help children. And, you know, one of the, one of the first steps I would say that an adult really has to embrace is to really accept and believe, truly believe that young children, even
0: toddlers have the capacity to understand. Absolutely. They want to know. Absolutely. That's a very regio and and (laughs) strength-based thought process right there that children are competent, um, confident, capable citizens.
1: Yeah. Most, most definitely. And, you know, and I think starting with that orientation should always be your first step. That should be your, your frame of mind going into the any big conversations that feel like, that feel scary. And there's a lot of them. And, you know, in later napcasts, we'll probably talk about those. But for now, um, for the COVID situation, you know, I think what will help you stay grounded as an adult is, one, have faith in the child, give them the benefit of the doubt that they're going to be able to understand. And two, be okay with telling the truth. Yes, it's hard to tell the truth during these kinds of things because we don't want to scare them. We don't want to overload children or develop a sense of anxiety. But that's where I would encourage adults to just lean on the facts. For example, tell my toddlers in the classroom. Because, again, they're keen observers in their little societies. Hey, you guys all probably realize uh, we haven't been at school for so many days, right? Right. We've been having so many stay-home days. I haven't seen you for so long. I haven't been able to hug you. I haven't been able to throw you up in the air or swing you around and make you dizzy. We haven't been able to wrestle. We haven't been able to cuddle. And maybe you're hearing you're you're spending more time with your, your family a lot more. You're having nap time with them, you're having lunch with them. And maybe you're hearing about germs a lot more. And well, I would tell a toddler, this germ, COVID 19. We don't have medicine for it. Usually when you get sick, you take medicine to feel better. Or you eat a yummy soup and you take a nap. But there's no medicine for this germ to go away. But scientists and doctors are working really hard to make medicine to fight and kill that germ. And when there is no medicine, it's easy for it to move to lots of people when they are in a space together. So that's why we're not all going into the classroom. And you might propose to the child, hey, where do you see lots of people sometimes in your life? You know, this is where I would pause and allow the child to answer and kind of reflect back their own ideas. And again, having faith that even a toddler is going to be able to formulate some ideas. And I might follow up with some other communal spaces, such as the synagogue, the temple, church, community centers, library, the pool, whatever it may be. And then I would continue telling the the young child. So, if there are no people in the same space, it's hard for that germ to move fast and get into everybody, and then it dies, and we can stay healthy. And I would say, you know, this is why we wash hand, uh, wash our hands because that can kill germs too. And this is why you've been seeing people wear masks so the germ doesn't get into their body or it doesn't come out of their body. And this is why you're probably hearing your grown-up say, catch your sneeze or catch your cough more, <laughs> cough pocket, vampires. Right. You yeah. um, know. and
0: sometimes wearing the masks helps catch his sneezes and coughs too. I like how um you brought up soup and my first thought <laughs> was I was like, man, I was thinking about chicken wings or <laughs> I know if my mom was here, she'd be like, Yo, what's mean? We do some fried rice. Let me cook down some rice. Let me get some fish. Uh, so fungi. Um mm-hmm. But yeah, okay. But for for adults like myself, I'm not in the classroom daily, so it might seem like a daunting task to to describe these germs and these viruses to young children.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Are there like are there key points that I could drive home during this conversation?
1: Yeah, um, and again, I, I think those those key points. Are really again having faith and believing that the child has a pretty good sense of knowledge and is willing to build on their current knowledge. Like they probably already know that there's these things called germs or something like that. Which you know, side note for all you grown-ups that are not calling them germs, call them germs, please. Yeah. We don't want to sugarcoat these things. These, this is what it is in real life. They're not little sticky ickies or or sick bugs or whatever. Germs are not cute. They are disgusting and they are germs. So we just call them germs. Um, And so, you know, we would just say, you know, rely that the child already knows that there are these things called germs or something like that. And which is why a grown up is telling them to wash their hands. Germs make you sick. And they know that at times that they need to take medicine when they do feel sick. And they're seeing and knowing that they're not leaving home as much because of some big vague sickness going around. What they need is a air quotes a why, and that's where the heavier facts of why we're staying home, why there you know that there is no medicine, why people are wearing masks, why those are the important sort of key points to really um, to drive home. Mm. And also, when you're laying it down pretty thick of these heavy points. Always, always follow it up with, it is my job to keep you safe yes. and to keep you protected. And I will do that because, yes, they want to know, and they want to know what that means for them. And that's where we use the child's sort of development and experience as strength. You know, speaking from the early childhood perspective, um, what we know developmentally, children at this age, at the toddler level, and up to about three and a half years old, are Moving through an egocentric point of
0: view, some people don't change from that. You no, know, it's, it's that's why we need early childhood, y'all. We
1: got to unblur that egocentric view. Um, and and what that vaguely, you know, or loosely means is that most of their thinking centers about themselves, without regard to to most people. Uh, but knowing this, we can sort of frame our conversations about COVID around the fact that, like, hey, we're all in this together, and we're doing this to keep each other safe not going, you know, they're not the only ones that are not going to school. Everybody's missing out. I don't get to go to school. Um, their other little friends don't get to go to school most of the time. A lot of preschoolers are not going to school. And, you know, a lot of uh, their their families who are working from home or, or might just be home, they're having to miss work. Everybody's missing out on something. Uh, these are some things that I think they do need to know and can understand. Um, And also with this egocentric stage of uh, development, I think it could be looked at as as a blessing rather than the curse. It sounds like, Mm -hmm. because what they're really trying to figure out, they're trying to unblur what all, what their sort of feelings mean in relationship to, to other people. They want to know what this experience or particular experiences mean for them. And they want to know why. And mostly the stage of development, egocentrism, as I like to think of it as, it's a mechanism for self-preservation. They want to know that they are safe and secure.
0: They want to know that they'll be cared for. We'll be right back. Hilltop Children's Center is a high-quality preschool, after-school program and professional development institute of early learning and inquiry, serving the Seattle community since 1971. Together, we are working with the next generation of inventors, leaders, thinkers, artists, and social activists. For more information on our professional development and community outreach, including workshops, presentations, blogs, coaching, and consulting, and of course, this NAPCAST, please visit www.hilltopcc.org. So Nick, it seems to me that from what you just described, taking these big information and distilling it down, being responsive and providing answers to the questions children ask, that there might be some conflict between what many adults might believe is best practice. And I know I saw it in my house growing up. Grandma always thought she had to have all the answers for me. (laughs) mom well mom's favorite words or at least to me it was since i was a more inquisitive person in the family was i don't know (laughs) you know (laughs) and i mean mom used to always follow that up with leave me alone boy um you know my caribbean my caribbean people out there know what that means um but i'm really interested in 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 hearing is there a balance can you have both
1: yeah i hear you mike there's a i mean when I was thinking about this, I like, I just recalled, you know, some of you, uh, flashbacks of my child who came through my parents saying, you know, because I said, so <laughs> and do as you're told. Cause I said so. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and when I look back at it now, I think I was on to some point of like, maybe I stumped the adult, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, and now being an educator with young children, I could see where, where that, uh, sort of uh, that attitude of the adult comes from. But, what has really allowed me and really helped me enjoy the whys and the how comes and general questioning and curious nature of children is, is simply like letting go of this idea mm-hmm. that I need to know. And, and, and specifically, letting go that I have to know answers to everything. And I think that this is, can easily become a folly of any educator is that you, you know, the need to know to be able to teach. Is, and I think that can actually be a fault. Yeah. Um, I think being okay with not knowing and, and, and admitting that to your child or children you care for, that adults don't always have answers all the time. And modeling uncertainty is as valuable as modeling the, the sort of being assured. And I believe that this shows children that it's okay to sit with uncertainty, that it's okay to remain curious for some time. And to just kind of stew in it, and 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 just keep going on about life, and of course, you know, th- there is definitely a, a something to it about finding balance as well. Um, and I think reminding your, yourself where the, where a child is developmentally will help you keep will help keep you the adult grounded to the to be the best model you can be for them. And you know, the child always needs assurance of what you can and what you will do for them. And when it's obvious children in my care are scared about something or there's a situation that brings them anxiety, a simple reminder of like, hey, it's my job to keep you safe. I love and I care for you, and I will keep you safe. That is my job, just kind of like I mentioned earlier. Um, And sometimes they need the explanation of how, but not always. And in many cases I've come across, it's usually an adult's anxiety that the child is drawing on And for the adults, I would encourage you to kind of fake it till you make it. You know, (laughs) meaning like for um, for the child's sake, just
0: you're okay with it being uncertain. Have that sort of confidence. (laughs) Fake it till you make it, I I can certainly do that. Um, (laughs) So I wanna actually switch gears just a little bit here and zoom out just for a moment. Um, So much of our society is polarized, you're either on one Mm -hmm. side or the other. And as a provider, you're either open or you're closed due to COVID. And regardless of what you decided out there, I can't stress enough to each and every provider Mm -hmm. that you made the right decision. Whether you're still providing care or not providing care, you made the best decision in a time of a crisis where there was very, very little guidance. You contributed to the greater good whether that's from staying home, practicing physical distancing, doing remote learning, Um, you contributed to the greater good if you're caring for essential workers, for grocery um, store employees, for, for the community that you serve. And here at Hilltop, we have decided to provide care for our families at Hilltop and in the community who are essential workers. So for families who are at home, what are ways you're keeping preschool alive for them, Nick?
1: yeah <sighs> with my family's well I mean first I couldn't have said that any better Mike um it is you know this is all very murky water nobody has any idea of how to deal with this you know mm-hmm. with all the technological advances and everything that we've been able to have at this point, you would think, oh yeah, we know how to handle some disease, but obviously not. Um, but with my families and children, the way we've been sort of responding and uh, to this crisis and keeping communication and the preschool vibe alive is utilizing all the communication platforms that technology has to offer On Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, Google Drive. Mm. They've all helped us stay connected. And as somebody who doesn't necessarily care for technology, it's definitely <laughs> been something that I've uh, been embracing. And my teaching team and I have been uploading videos of us reading books, singing songs that the children are familiar with, playing our instruments, playing games we would play at our, what some people might call their circle time, um, and even showing them aspects of our own personal lives, like our like our homes, our pets, things we eat, um, our backyards sometimes. Uh, we've also been sending out daily emails, usually with some sort of activity or play ideas that um, families can do with their kids at home uh, and, and as I mentioned earlier in the NAPCAST we you know gave uh, parents our class schedule mm-hmm. and so that's when they can implement some of these play ideas and activities and we've also had all class Zoom meetings which is actually quite entertaining with
0: 10 to 12 two year olds <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you Zoom say, Zoom is a lifesaver for many um, Zoom if you're out there listening feel <laughs> free to sponsor us uh, but yeah. But um, for me, it still doesn't be face-to-face interactions for sure. Uh, it's definitely good to see you, brother. It's been a while since we've been in the same room. Uh, when Hilltop decided to open up for essential care, uh, we made the decision as an organization to allow those who weren't comfortable coming in to stay home and do off-site work with you being one of them and to allow X amount of staff um, to come in and work on, to work on-site, which includes me. So... We know that there's no right decision when it comes to this. So I'd love to hear more about how you came to decision to working offsite. For me, it was easy. I'm single, I live alone. My circle of contacts is super, super small. How about you? Well, yeah, first of all, it's good seeing you, Mike. You know, Like I told you, uh,
1: when I came over, the first person that I've seen outside of his screen from from Hilltop (laughs) other than one other colleague. And I didn't, it didn't dawn on me until like I stepped out of the car and saw you and I was like, Oh, it's Mike, a real person. (laughs) And you know, really for me, it was also an easy decision. um, On my end, because I do live with a a family member who falls into the people at risk category. Um, And at first I thought maybe there would be some flexibility that maybe we can make this work and, and, maybe she wouldn't feel as, uh, impacted by this, but as it became clear, that definitely faded fast and, um, you know, didn't want to put them at risk unnecessarily. And had this happened a year or two ago, I'd definitely be like in the same similar situation as, as you, uh, as I was like living on my own and kind of, I had sort of more of the space to, to maybe make that decision. Um, I didn't really have, a whole lot of other people to consider outside of my little personal circle, um, and as time goes on, though, we'll continue to assess and reassess the risk level and determine when would be an appropriate time for me to return back to the classroom. But you know, it is what it is, and we're
0: just kind of taking it one day at a time. I feel you. We miss you, though, and um, you know, I'm glad you're you're able to be confident in your decision and in thinking. Think about how you what you can do in your personal life to flatten the curve. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that. Um, but we are potentially in this for the long haul, mm-hmm. and I can only imagine how easy it is for folks out there, including ourselves, to lose touch with you, with each other. What supports are you receiving that have been helpful to stay in touch with on-site staff, with your team as they work from home, with admin, with friends, family? Yeah, I think uh going back it's
1: that uh embracing that technology again <laughs> and yeah, you know, I keep thinking back to like before this technological age, like what did how did people deal with it when you know it was the Spanish flu running around and like mm. and and really big outbreaks and like when we they couldn't, you know, contact their family member or their or their farmhand across, you know, the farm and or wherever they lived and how did they do that? And I think they just kind of dealt with it and was like, well, if I see him, I'll see them. you know, <laughs> but we, we've been able to keep in contact. And again, one of those, things with especially with meetings with my team um zoom has been very helpful so yes once again zoom if you're out there listening mm-hmm. um send send some love <laughs> quite frankly i think you know that zoom is keeping a lot of things afloat these days and this is not an infomercial for zoom yeah, yeah we promise <laughs> yeah. we promise <laughs> But Unless, once again that sponsorship yeah. <laughs> money comes in <laughs> yeah. um but technology technology and all the different platforms especially email has been an anchor in all of this um and it's been allowing me to connect with my different communities like the World Forum Foundation um, and as well as uh, members of the admin team at Hilltop and, of course, my teaching team and the families. But, you know, being able to stay connected with those folks in real time has been a layer of support in itself. And it's, you know, we're keeping each other motivated and inspired to um, to push our ideas forward and, and with the World Forum Foundation to push our agenda forward. Uh, or agenda forward, which is uh, striving for a gendered balanced workforce in early childhood education. Mm. Thank you, Nick. Hey, thank you, Mike.